Welcome to the Ferris Love Shrine podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. In this final episode of season two, we're sharing our annual Christmas reflection. Advent is about to begin. We're beginning a new liturgical year. And we know that this annual repetition of the mysteries of the life of Jesus and of our faith is much more than a pious recollection or a simple commemoration of, of things of the past. What, what we're celebrating throughout the liturgical year is Christ himself living in his church, coming into his own creation. And so as Christians, as Catholics, uh, as we go through the course of the liturgical year, we contemplate the different mysteries of our faith under the guidance of the liturgy, which our mother, the church, gives us. And so as we do so, our hope will be awakened by Jesus' imminent birth and our joy increases at the knowledge that, that he is with us, Emmanuel, God is with us. And our faith will be enkindled when we consider that he is the hidden God and our wonder grows at seeing the way in which divine wisdom reveals itself. And then sorrow wells up inside of us as we contemplate his passion and death. And, and then a sense of victory is ours as we behold the resurrection. And then in Pentecost, Pentecost provides us with a powerful stimulus, sending us forth in all directions as did the apostles. But above all, we want to understand the true meaning behind each and every event we're going to relive as we start a new year in our liturgical year. And what is that meaning? Well, it's very simple. It is the fundamental truth that permeates the entire gospel. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's what St. John tells us. Christ's love is the key to everything. And it should be also the key to our lives. And so Advent just started. And now Christmas is fast approaching. Advent is a time of preparation. And what are we preparing for? For Christmas. And what is Christmas? Christmas is the incarnation. God comes into the world, not in, in a full divine splendor, but as a human child, hiding his divinity hiding his power. And the prayers and the readings from the first Sunday of Advent are very, very helpful, very moving, very inspiring, and also very important for us to, to ponder. Through them, the Holy Spirit is trying to reach out to us and trying to teach us what our dispositions, our thoughts, need to be now during this time of Advent and as we 
prepare ourselves to embrace and to welcome this God who is crazy in love with us that he becomes one of us and comes into the world as a child. This is the Catholic prayer for, from the first Sunday of Advent. Grant your faithful, we pray, Almighty God, the resolve to run forth to meet your Christ with righteous deeds at his coming, so that gathered at his right hand, they may be worthy to possess the heavenly kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? The resolve to run forth to meet Christ. That's what we pray for as we begin the season of Advent in the first Sunday of Advent. We pray to God that we the result to run forth. We're not going to wait for Jesus to come. We're going to run towards him during these four weeks of this time of Advent, this time of preparation, because God is coming. St. Luke um, summarizes what Christmas is in just a handful of words. He says, and this is in the original, in the Vulgate, et verbum caro factum est, et habitabit in novis. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Those are words that we pray every day at noon when we pray this beautiful Marian prayer that we call the Angelus. Et verbum caro factum est. And the word was made flesh. Jesus is about to come and take on human flesh and he's going to dwell among us. He truly becomes human, one of us, with a body and a soul and with a heart and a personality and, and emotions. That's what we're preparing for. I remember years ago, I went to visit the shrine of Loreto by the Adriatic in Italy. And that shrine is famous because inside of the the big basilica there, it holds part of what was the house of Nazareth, where Mary was when the angel Gabriel came to announce to her and to ask her if she was willing to be the mother of God. And it's a beautiful church, and it's very striking when you walk into it that there is this structure inside of the structure, and and it's, it's 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 beautiful. And when you go inside, it's a very simple. I mean, it's it's like a little house. And that's where, when Mary said, "Behold, the handmaid of the Lord," and at that moment, the Word became flesh. And what was striking to me visiting there is, I was there, and it happened to be noon. So the Franciscan priest who was there invited all of us to join him in the prayer of the Angelus. And when we got to the part that says, and the word became flesh, instead of saying that, he said, and here the word was made flesh, here. It was kind of striking. And it is. It was a physical place. It was a, a home in a particular region of the world, in a place called Nazareth. And that's where the word became flesh. Et verbum caro factum est. 
And in our prayer, and it's good to do this during the time of Advent and during the Christmas season to, to ask Jesus and to ask him indirectly, you know, why did you come into the world? Why did you take on our human nature? Why become one of us? The Catechism of the Catholic Church says that the reason for the incarnation was for God to save us, to share his life with us, to show how much he loves us, and also to be our model. You know, things for us to, to ponder and to think about, to save us, to share his life, to show how much he loves us, and to be our model. And it's that last one that I think is important for us to, to spend more time with because it's the one that we can easily miss. The second person of the Trinity becomes one of us to be our model. In other words, to show us how to be happy, how to love. And even more, he is teaching us and showing us how to be truly human. God becomes human to teach us how to be human, what it means to be human. It's at the beginning of the Gospel of St. John, and he writes, the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And then later on, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glorious as of the only Son from the Father. That beautiful, he says, full of grace and truth. Jesus does not only teach truth, but he is the truth. His whole life is truth. Truth is not a set of, of, of propositions or a proposition that we assent to. Is 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 Jesus is truth. And he said to us that the truth will make you free. And how is that? Well, Jesus with his life is revealing to, to you and to me how to be truly free. And then with that freedom, then we can be truly happy and fulfilled. Again, from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says that during the greater part of his life, Jesus shared the condition of the vast majority of human beings, a daily life spent without evident greatness, a life of manual labor. His religious life was that of a Jew obedient to the law of God, a life in the community. And that is a beautiful truth that the Son of Man, Jesus, who is about to come into the world in just a few days, that's the truth that he's teaching, who we are and what our calling in this life is. You know, 
to be truly human, to be part of this world that God created for us. And as he did, it's a, da a, a daily life spent without evident greatness, a life of manual labor. It's really a wonderful thing just to realize that Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity who becomes one of us, uh, that he is teaching us what we're supposed to be. That's why the incarnation is the game changer. And that's why history is centered on this one event. No, we measure time in before and after Christ. And as part of that truth and as part of being a model when he's teaching us, I mean, when you think about it, what is remarkable is not only that he did it, that God did this, but what is remarkable is how he did it. He comes into the world poor, very poor, very humble, in obscurity, in poverty, is cold. And then he spends 30 years, out of his 33 years, living in the most ordinary hidden life, living in a tiny little village with his parents and doing manual work, working as a carpenter. Except Mary and Joseph, no one had a clue that Jesus was God, that he was one of the divine persons. And meditating on all of this, I would like us to, to go deeper into two of the kind of most surprising dimensions of this great mystery of the Incarnation that we're preparing for. They're most surprising and I would dare say shocking. One is, is what I just said, that God chooses to be very poor. And the other one, which I also just said, that he decides to spend most of his life living a hidden, ordinary life of family and work. That's what the Catechism of the Catholic Church is highlighting for us. Why would God be born poor? Why live an ordinary life of hard work and family? And even really thinking about it and then to suffer the way he did. Why? Why does God spend 30 out of 33 years being in obscurity, living an ordinary life? Why couldn't he just get going with the work of salvation, people ask? Well, that's what we need to ponder during these days in preparation for, for Christmas. And, and even... And it's the best way to do this is asking Jesus directly, heart to heart, speaking with him. Jesus, why did you spend all those years 
in Egypt and then in Nazareth. Jesus, what is the meaning of you working a manual job for so long? What are you trying to teach us? Why, Jesus, what are you trying to say to me? It's interesting, the main difference between the canonical Gospels, the Gospels that are approved, the four Gospels that are part of the New Testament, and the so-called apocryphal Gospels, the ones that are not considered legitimate or revealed by God. Um, really, the main difference is in the apocryphal Gospels, you see all these extraordinary events that take place. The apocryphal Gospels try to highlight the divinity of Jesus by telling what, you know, frankly, some are absurd stories about Jesus, like Jesus zapping a schoolmate or, you know, helping St. Joseph in his work when he makes a mistake and Jesus just put his hand somewhere and it just makes the, the little leg of the, uh, of the table a little longer. You know, it makes crazy. What makes the true Gospels extraordinary is, is the beauty and the, I guess you could call it the salvific value of the ordinary. And so when St. Luke says, et verbum caro factum es, et habitabit in nobis, he's, is, is God, is the Holy Spirit teaching us that what you and I do, our lives, which are also very ordinary and hidden, that that's the life that God lived. That the lesson God is teaching is crucial and is amazing. With his incarnation, God is saying that what you and I do every day is divine. That our daily work, that everything we do during the day is holy. Jesus makes it holy with his life. That is all true that this is all divine, that this pleases God. And so the silence of Jesus' birth and the silence of his hidden life speaking loudly, loudly, that all that we humans do can acquire divine meaning. Everything, everything after the incarnation, Everything can be divine. This is a new logic of the incarnation. Jesus becoming one of us makes everything new. Make all things divine. There is no longer the, the, the human down here on earth and then the divine up there in heaven and, and we're just trying to, you know, go from, no, no. Everything below here can be divine. That's something that most people don't grasp. And Jesus is trying to teach us that with his incarnation. Genesis. From the very beginning, at the moment of the creation of Adam and Eve, says that we were created to work. It says in, after the creation of Adam, and it says that we created ut operaretur in the Vulgate. 
to work. Work. And that ordinary work that most of us do every single day is not a consequence of original sin. It precedes it. It was one of God's gifts to us. He wanted us to be co-creators with him in making this world of his better. And since we had kind of forgotten that, Jesus comes to teach us that. And he worked. And he made it all divine. Jesus is teaching us how to work and how to live an ordinary life in a Christian way. That's what St. Paul tries to explain to the people in Colossia, the Colossians, and he tells them, whatever your work is, put your heart into it as if it were for the Lord and not for men, knowing that the Lord will repay you by making you his heirs. It is Christ the Lord that you're serving. It is Christ the Lord that you're serving. It is God we're serving. That's what Jesus is, is trying to say, that that ordinary life, family, work, that Jesus lived, is something holy, is something that unites us with God and then with, with one another. And in a very special way, it unites us to Christ himself who became one of us. Pope Emeritus Benedict, in that beautiful encyclical that he wrote called Deus Caritas says God is love, at the very beginning, from the outset of the encyclical, he writes something that is so profound and is related to what we're considering now. He writes that being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. St. John's Gospel describes that event in these words, God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. You see, our Christian life consists not in doing a lot of things, not in, in some assenting to a lot of truths. Our Christian life consists in getting to know Christ, in falling in love with Christ, and following Him closely. Our Sanctification does not primarily consist in fighting against sin. It's not something negative. It does not consist in overcoming, I don't know, spectacular difficulties or, or even extraordinary acts of the will. No, our Christian life is, is, that, is Christocentric, is Christ-centered. It's to know Christ Jesus, to know his life, and then to try to imitate him. And then to make him known. 
and then to bring him to all places. And we do so by the witness of our life because little by little we've gotten to know Jesus better. We've been imitating his life. We've been becoming his friends. And then our life begins to be his life and people begin to see Jesus in us. And that's how we spread the gospel. And all this in the midst of a very quiet, ordinary life, the life that most of us live. Yes, we devote time to prayer. We spend time with Jesus. But also we see him next to us while we work, when we're at home. Jesus is there with us. And we turn everything in a way into a prayer because we're doing it prayerful. We're doing it for love. We're doing as Jesus did. He is with us the same way he was in the house of Martha and Mary as they worked. And Jesus is with you as you work, as you go about your day. This is so easy to forget. We often go about our day more like practical atheists, really, than true friends of Christ. We, 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 we forget about him. We ignore him. Where Mother Mary... The mother of Jesus watched Jesus grow day by day from the moment he was born up to his death on the cross and then after the resurrection. Our mother Mary watched him take his first steps and she saw how St. Joseph was teaching Jesus how to work and she had to love it and also wonder at what God was doing. And there she was experiencing that love of God watching her son grow. And that's what she learned. And it's that love, that pure motherly love, that makes her the mother of fairest love. That mother of, of that pure, generous loving, merciful, forgiving love. And that's her big role now, is loving us, but also teaching us how to love. That beautiful aspiration, Mater Procle Dilectionis, or Apronomis, Mother of Fair's Love, pray for us. Well, she will guide us and teach us how to live. And she's teaching us in bringing Jesus into the world. She's that instrument, that most beautiful, most pure, most fair instrument that God chose by accepting to be the mother of God. She brings love, the face of God into the world at Christmas. And that's why you and I are preparing for. She will help us during these days to be more ready, more prepared, and she will inspire us not only to look forward to the coming of Jesus, to get to know Jesus, and to imitate the life of Jesus, but she will also inspire us to 
sanctify others in and through our ordinary life. Mother of Fair's love, pray for us.